Florence Jackson is a four-year-old girl who went out with her grandfather to find an abandoned sawmill. However, halfway to the sawmill, the girl strangely turned around and took off in the opposite direction. This strange case occurred way back in 1937, but despite mountains of evidence that has been collected by police and crime scene detectives, the young girl's disappearance has never been solved. This video is going to be a little bit different than what I would normally do. If you've been following missing person cases for a while, or even just true crime in general, you've likely heard about David Palides. David helped begin the missing 411 craze that's been running strong for years now. David Palides is a former police officer who has access to loads of information on these missing 411 cases. He's released tons of books and covers various missing person cases from around the world often involving people who disappeared in national parks, all while claiming to be doing his best to help the victims and the families who were involved in these cases. But in researching today's case, I uncovered some details about David Palides and his books that may show him in a much different light. For today's video, I want to share with you the story of Florence Jackson, the young girl mentioned a moment ago. First, I want to share with you David Palides' side of the story, then we'll get to what really happened that day, and you can decide for yourself whether or not this missing person case is truly unsolved or even mysterious. Arthur Jackson and his wife, alongside their daughter, were traveling from their home in Chelsea, Oklahoma to visit relatives in Oak Grove, Arkansas. It was a Monday afternoon, September 6th, 1937. Florence's parents were heading out to a wooded section of her grandfather's property for the day, presumably to take a walk in the natural environment, but we don't know for sure exactly why they were venturing out that day. Florence, on the other hand, went alongside her grandfather to find a nearby abandoned sawmill. They didn't plan on doing anything in particular at the sawmill, it was just a short adventure and a bit of bonding time for the two. When they managed to make it about halfway to the sawmill, Florence unexpectedly said that she wanted to go back to the car. She then took off in the direction of her grandfather's vehicle without ever explaining why she left so suddenly. She never made it to the car, and by the time her grandfather had arrived at the vehicle, she was nowhere to be found. Worried, her grandfather called police immediately, and the search was on for little Florence Jackson. The area of Barryville and Oak Grove was abuzz with the news that Florence had gone missing, and countless volunteers showed up to try to help find her. While they didn't find the young girl, they did find a fair amount of evidence that proved that they had been searching in the correct area. On September 9th, police made a statement that said that they had found Florence's shoes and socks on a set of cliffs nearby. Her socks had been removed and tossed around 15 yards from one another. Her shoes were found on a different cliff a short distance away. This discovery left investigators confused. After all, why would the little girl take her socks off, and why would they have been so far apart from one another? At this point, researchers began to wonder if someone had abducted the little girl, removing her clothes while they ran away with her. However, running while carrying a four-year-old would be difficult enough, forget about even trying to remove her clothes at the same time. Unfortunately, the investigation was halted when heavy rain began to pour into the area, ruining any additional evidence that they may have been able to find. The local sheriff recalled that around this time, he had every reason to believe that the girl was alive, but finding her would be like finding a needle in a haystack. He added that the terrain in this area was the roughest you could imagine, so the chances of finding her in time would be slim to none. Late the following day, on September 10th, a farmer's wife was outside of her home, about seven miles from where Florence had originally gone missing. While she was outside, she heard a voice in the distance that sounded as though it was calling to her. 
Mrs. Godwin began to look around the property when she saw someone standing near a creek in the distance. It was a little girl, and she didn't have a single piece of clothing on her body. When Mrs. Godwin called back to the girl, she shouted for help, saying that she couldn't get across the creek on her own. Mrs. Godwin sprang into action and jumped into the creek, carrying the little girl across and bringing her back to safety. Mrs. Godwin says that when she found the girl, all she had with her was a tomato and some leaves. The girl had been clinging onto them, presumably eating them. When Mrs. Godwin got the girl into her home and warmed her up, she found out that the young girl was missing Florence Jackson. Florence told the Godwins that she'd survived the last few days by eating grapes, tomatoes, and leaves that she had found. The Godwins called the police, and the Jackson family was taken to the Godwins' residence to be reunited with their daughter. According to David Paulides, the local police began to suspect that the girl had been abducted. However, officers say that it was difficult to distinguish between what was real and fake in terms of the young girl's story. Some of what she told officers seemed so far-fetched that they felt like she had made it up or even dreamed it. Florence mentioned that one night, she slept either on top of a log or inside of it. Once the sun went down, she claims to have climbed up a tree to safety, but this seems a bit unreasonable for such a small child. She also remembered sleeping on top of a flat rock, then getting cold and calling out for her mother. One of the strangest parts of her story, though, is that she claims that she recalls seeing two strange men in the woods. She also told the story of how she'd spent one of her nights in the woods when she was found by a man and a woman and taken back to their house. They let her sleep in a cot for the night, but they forced her to leave the next morning. David Paulides ends his write-up by saying, quote, As someone who has interviewed hundreds of children after very stressful incidents, when they're not suspected of a crime, they are very truthful. I believe that something very, very strange happened to Florence and that she subconsciously suppressed much of the story. End quote. As it would turn out, police never really suspected that anything suspicious happened to the girl, at least not in the later stages of the investigation, and certainly not after they had found her. It seems as though David had access to various interviews with the girl that were published in the Chicago Tribune and in the Joplin Globe, just to name a few. He references one of these interviews in which the writer tells the story of how Florence ran back to her grandfather's car halfway to the abandoned sawmill. David suggests that the reason she turned around is unknown. However, according to the article, it clearly states that Florence turned around because she had been wearing shoes that were giving her blisters and she wanted to take them off. This information is taken directly from her interview with police after she had been found. In his book, David suggests that something or someone removed her socks and shoes one by one, suggesting that she was being carried by someone. However, Florence herself says that she removed her shoes because of a blister, then later removed her socks because they got wet and made her feel cold. With this in mind, you may be wondering why the little girl was completely unclothed by the time that she made it to the Godwin's farm. In this same interview, she explains that her dress got wet as well, so she removed it and continued on her journey without clothing, as it made her feel more comfortable. In regards to the two strange men that Florence saw in the woods that day, the official reports from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram indicate that the men that she saw in the woods that day were most likely members of the local search party. However, David Paulides left this information out of his book, even though his quote was pulled directly from the exact same article that I was reading. In his reports, David makes it seem as though the girl was suffering from serious stress and trauma, even going as far as suggesting that her mind had subconsciously altered her memory of that day from sheer fear. However, officers who arrived at the scene say that she was, quote, pert and cheerful, as well as wide-eyed and smiling. 
This wasn't a young girl who'd been shaken or abducted by some mysterious, scary person. This was a young girl who simply got lost in the woods. Overall, there's no reason why David Politas should have excluded all of this information from his book. I don't have any idea why he would have done this, but it certainly makes the story seem much more compelling in his book than what truly happened. Now, don't get me wrong, I do own a copy of one of David's books, and I do still plan on buying others from him as well, because there's still valuable information in them. But this story in particular has kind of changed the way I view David Politas, and will make me dive much deeper into some of his cases in the future, because at the end of the day, you've got to remember that these are innocent families and victims involved in these stories. Changing important quotes, leaving out critical details, and making a case appear to be something it's not is nothing less of harmful. That's the video for today, you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to hit that like button. If you loved it, maybe consider sharing, subscribing, or clicking that blue join button below to really show your support for the channel. But I've been Ty Knotts. You guys have been lovely, and I'll catch you in the next video. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.